Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Dane Kramer, and this is episode number three. I want to welcome you to the Thinking Christian Podcast. If you would like to know more information about me or this podcast, just go to thethinkingchristian.us. That's thethinkingchristian.us. There you'll be directed to my website, and there you can find more information about me uh, or this podcast, if you're so inclined. Although, to be honest with you, there's not much there to impress you with. Uh, uh, I, I'm a man of really no, no reputation. Um, I, I'm not educated. I have a, um, a high school diploma, which I got barely. I think I graduated with a like a 2.3 grade point average in high school. I mean, I'm not a smart guy. Um, I'm not a smart guy. And I've never been to college and never been to Bible school. I had some Bible classes from time to time, but often I found myself more defending my faith in there than actually learning about it. But that's another story. Uh, but in any event, um, you know, there's not much there. Um, you know, I am who I am. And uh, so I can't imagine anybody really uh, being impressed with anything that I have to offer, uh, or let alone listening to this podcast. Um, but uh, I'm here to talk about the things that I've thought through and the things that I'm thinking through. And uh, hopefully um, it'll just sort of jog you to, you know, to think yourself, just to, to think through some of these things. And uh, that's that's my only hope here, I guess. So in any event, let's get rolling. Um uh, I had alluded to this podcast in my last one. I said that I was hoping to talk about something uh, that was fascinating to me, and it is fascinating to me, and that's what I want to talk about uh, today. I think what I'm going to talk about today is probably one of the best evidences for the existence of God. One of the best evidences for the existence of God. I think it's also one of the best um, arguments against a godless universe, sort of a naturalistic, atheistic atheistic explanation of everything. So it's a good, um, a good argument for the existence of a god, and it's a great argument against um, atheism. Um, and when I say it's a good argument for, for the existence of a god, I, I do mean that. I, I, I can't necessarily say that this argument supports uh, or leans completely towards or points towards the Christian god. At the end of this argument, it could be any god. I mean, maybe the Native American great spirit could fit. Uh, uh, maybe uh, Muhammad's Allah would, would fit this description. So, you know, it's really, um, that's a, a topic for another discussion. But I think it does um, lean itself towards becoming a really, really good argument towards the existence of a god. All right, let's get started. Um, I got to take you back, though. Uh, this argument came to me the first time in the fifth grade, and um, it, it just hit me like a bolt of lightning. And, and I was in fifth grade, and I want to tell you that story. And I and the reason why I think that's uh, important is because that's how intuitive this argument is. Now, again, I pointed out I'm not a bright guy. I, I'm not that smart. And yet this argument came to me, this fifth grader, who's not that smart, in fifth grade. And um, I would later, later read the likes of, um, let's say, um, uh, C.S. Lewis and um, uh, Dr. William Lane Craig and, and, and find out that this argument was repeated, although in a much refined manner, um, by some of these great thinkers. So, um, but the argument itself is in its basic premise just, just really kind of obvious, and that's what I want to talk about. All right, fifth grade, I was in science class, and um, 
my fifth grade teacher was introducing the class to the theory of evolution. Now, I had never heard of evolution before. I had grown up in a Christian home, had gone to church, had read the Bible, and understood that the universe, all space, time, and matter had begun when God created it, and that human life was the result of God's very particular, very specific creation, that we were here by God's design, and He had um, bestowed upon us some specific characteristics that He didn't give the rest of creation, and that's what I had learned. That's what I believed to be true. And suddenly, there I am in fifth grade, listening to my science teacher tell a completely different story, that the universe and all that is in the universe began... Um, uncaused, just simply popped into existence without a cause, and that we, human life, are just really uh, highly evolved species. I mean, we're just the recipient of a lot of accidents, uh, very fortunate recipients of uh, a series of accidents, uh, mutations that helped us evolve a little higher than um, our cousins, the trees and the rocks and the animals, because uh, we're all related in, in the, um, in the uh, evolutionary theory. So, um, you know, I'm sitting there listening to this argument, and I'm thinking, okay, that's bogus. I mean, I never heard this before. It didn't make a, a, a bit of sense to me. And as I'm, I'm pondering it, I, I suddenly had this brainstorm. I knew how I could defeat my fifth grade teacher's argument. It was like brilliant. The, the light went off. I knew how I could do it. This was simple. I, I, I knew I could do it. Uh, and so I, to defeat his argument, I kind of envisioned this. Now, I didn't uh, carry through, thank goodness, but, but this, is, this is what I was thinking, is I'll just stand up from my seat there in my class. I'll walk to the front of the room while the teacher is giving his lecture, and I'll sucker punch him. You know, without provocation, without a kind of warning, without, without anything, you know, uh, notice. I'll just walk up to the teacher and just, you know, punch him right in the gut as hard as I could. Now, of course, this would be followed by a series of events. Um, in those days, we were paddled. I got paddled a few times. Not many, but I got paddled a few times in, in school. And so I'm, I'm sure I'd, I would have gotten paddled. I mean, maybe I would have got to the center of the teacher's or the principal's office. I wouldn't be surprised if I even was expelled from school. Um, I, who knows how far that would have gone. But, um, you know, and I would have expected to be punished. And as I was being punished for sucker punching my teacher, and by the way, I'm not recommending you do this, okay? Don't go out and sucker punch anybody. I never did, and, and, and I'm not recommending. I'm just telling you this was, this was what I was thinking about as a fifth grader. But as I was, you know, being punished for sucker punching my teacher, I, uh, I was going to ask the teacher, why are you punishing me? And the teacher would invariably say, because what you did was wrong. And that's when I hold up my fifth grade finger and say, gotcha. When he says that what you did, sucker punching me, was wrong, I would say, gotcha. And, and again, this came to me as a fifth grader. I knew intuitively this was a great argument, minus the sucker-punching part, but it was a great argument. Because in, his, in the teacher's mind, the world had created accidentally. Human life was here accidentally. We are just highly, more highly involved than 
you know, our cousins, the chimpanzees, and our distant relatives, the dogs, and so on and so forth. We were just fortunate to be mutated in our direction. And so, in his viewpoint, in this atheistic, this materialistic viewpoint that he held, there can be no right or wrong. Now, he could accuse me of um, breaking school policy, which I would have done had I sucker punched him. He could have accused me of maybe um, uh, breaking uh, Pennsylvania criminal code, because he probably was. He could even say to me, I prefer you not to sucker punch me, and that would have been true. But what he couldn't have done was said the obvious. And the obvious is that what you had done was objectively wrong. It was really wrong. Not subjectively wrong. Not, a, not something against my preferences, but really and objectively wrong. And I knew that as a fifth grader. I knew that to be true. I knew that in an atheistic, un, or in an atheistic godless universe, in a universe not designed by some being or mind, a naturalistic universe only, there can be no objective right or wrong. No objective good or bad. Why? Because nature doesn't produce that. When I say nature, I'm talking about a mindless force. A mindless... Yeah, it's not even a force. I mean, accidents are not going to produce that. Now, there are forces that nature does produce. For example, like gravity and inertia and centrifugal force and things like that. We know how those come about and we know why they're in place. But nature can't produce an objective moral law, as C.S. Lewis would call it. An objective moral principle that makes something objectively right or wrong. If nature did, then nature became very specific about it because, if you've ever noticed, the animals and plants and minerals in our world are not subject to this law. A lion, we can watch if you're sitting there watching Marlon Perkins' Wild Kingdom. There, I've just aged myself. But you're sitting there watching TV and you, and you watch a, a lioness sneak up on a, on a sickly zebra, you know, the, the weakest of the pack. And it watches it for a long time. This is premeditation, you know. And it jumps out of the thicket and it, and it uh, leaps on the zebra, pulls it down and kills it. We don't take that lion into custody and bring it into the court system and charge it with murder. Why? Because it's not, it hasn't committed a crime. It's killed the zebra, but it hasn't murdered the zebra. And we intuitively know this to be true. A plant can grow up and cause shade that kills another plant below it. But we don't say that that plant has murdered the other plant. I mean, not in any seriousness. Because this law of morality doesn't affect plants and animals and minerals. But woe does it affect us. We know that it's there. We feel it. We, we can observe it. If you're ever offended by someone, if someone lies to you, if someone has betrayed you, if someone has treated you unfairly, if someone, while you were a young child, molested you, you know 
you know that what they've done was wrong. Wrong. Not just against some criminal code or some ethical principle, but what they did was truly and objectively wrong. Irregardless of what they think about it, irregardless of what they feel about it, irregardless of how anybody feels about it, what they've done, and we know that to be true. You know that to be true. You ever notice that if you're talking with someone who has uh, perhaps lied to you, and you confront them about that, and you say, you've lied to me. You know, you really hurt me. You've lied about this. Or you've treated me unfairly. You don't have to stop and explain what unfair treatment is. You don't have to explain what a lie is. We know that intuitively. And generally, the response that the person gives you back is not that, well, yes, I lie to you. I lie every day. I love to lie. Lying's how I get by. Of course I lied. What's wrong with lying? That's not the response that you get. The response that you get is, well... In my case, it wasn't a lie. Or, I, I didn't really lie to you because I just didn't tell you all the truth. Or something like that. They, they feel this law pressing down upon them. Now they say, oh, I didn't treat you unfairly. I, I did the best that I could in my circumstances. Because they feel this law pressing down upon them. And they know there is an objective wrong or right out there. They sense it. They, they feel it. They know it to be true. Just like you know it to be true. But the problem is, in my fifth grade teacher's mind, in, in, in any atheist mind, this world is just a series of accidents, natural occurrences, natural selection doing what it does. It doesn't think. It doesn't process. And it can't create a law that concerns itself with behavior because it doesn't think. Natural selection and evolution, they're not thinking processes. They don't design anything. There's no purpose there and therefore there's no way that it can create a law that is concerned about what we do. It can't. It just simply can't. Now, I know someone might argue, well, yeah, but, you know, through evolution, we have developed a conscious. We're a higher thinking animal than the rest of them. And we've developed a conscious and we've learned that certain behaviors promote society better than other behaviors. You know, certain actions are are more healthy for society on whole. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue that good actions do promote society, but the problem with that response is that still makes it relative or subjective. It doesn't make an objective. It's just saying that society has developed these rules of conduct, but they could change, right? We could develop newer rules of conduct. For example, when Hitler was in charge in Germany... And two million Jews were killed under him. The world stood up later and said, this was wrong. We don't care if your whole country said it was right. It was objectively wrong. And so evolution can't produce an objective rule. It might produce subjective ones, but I'm not talking about subjective roles. I'm talking about real, objective, right and wrong. Real good and bad. They exist. And intuitively, 
you know they exist. I know they exist. And if I could just show my fifth grade teacher, he would know that they exist. He would react as if they existed. There's an objective right and wrong. And this means that somewhere out in our universe, there must be a mind. There must be a, a thought process. There must be not a somewhat, but a someone who is concerned about the way we act and treat each other. And he's written this law, this, this code, this objective principle into our very beings so that we know, so that we are without excuse. We know he's out there. This is uh, Dane Kramer. You're listening to the Thinking Christian Podcast. We're going to bring it to a close today. Something to think about, something just to kind of throw around. Uh, Feel free to leave a comment. Feel free to go to my website. If you dislike this, say I disliked it. If you can prove that moral values are not objective, then feel free to do that. But I believe this argument is as solid as when I thought of it in fifth grade. All right. Well, that's enough for that for today. Hope to see you back next time. Please feel free to share this podcast on your social media platform. That would do me a a big favor. I would really appreciate that. And I hope to see you back here next time.